Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. A very good afternoon and welcome to Newsbreak Talk. I'm Talisha Naidu, standing in for Taresh Hari Pashad. It's World AIDS Day today, a day set aside annually for communities to unite in the fight against HIV and AIDS. Well, it's not just about raising awareness, but to learn about the truth about the virus. And that's exactly what we're doing today. We're breaking the silence about HIV and AIDS. Remember, you can view, give your views a voice this afternoon. That number is 071613-7803. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. Newsbreak, Lotus FM, powered by SABC News. Today marks the 30th anniversary of the commemoration of World AIDS Day globally. It's estimated that 37 million people are living with HIV globally. 22 million of them are on treatment. The theme for this year's commemoration is Know Your Status, aimed at encouraging people to get tested for HIV. Tabela Mbele with this report. South Africa has the largest HIV program in the world. There are 7 million people living with HIV. 4 million of them are on antiretroviral treatment and more than 2 million are still waiting to start treatment. While good progress has been made with the HIV response, the country is, however, battling to contain the number of new HIV infections among young women. Three decades later, a young woman who was born HIV positive says stigma and discrimination still prevails in South Africa. Sadie Brown from Itzoseng in the northwest province says there are no safe spaces for young women in South Africa. And you go to clinics and you want to learn about things like viral suppression, you want to learn about things like PrEP, And the first question you will be asked is, is it not enough that you are living with HIV? Why are you still asking about sex? It's things like that. Things like, how dare you think you still deserve to have sex? How dare you think you still deserve to enjoy sex? Isn't it enough that you're living with HIV? As if young people are not going to have sex. The sugar daddy phenomenon has been blamed for the high number of new HIV infections in South Africa. Dr. Shafiq Esaji is the deputy chief of HIV at UNICEF. He says South Africa should target men in its HIV programs. What could South Africa do differently? Well, uh, you still have a real problem here with men. We know that the epidemic is fueled by age-disaggregated sex, and whether that sex is coerced or whether that sex is uh, consensual, those men may not know that they are living with HIV themselves. Let's start reaching out to those men to say, what you're doing is actually putting these young women at risk and is perpetuating the cycle of new infections for future generations. Among other challenges South Africa has faced is the shortage of antiretrovirals. CEO of the South African National AIDS Council, Dr. Sandy Lebutelezi, says China, which supplies antiretrovirals to South Africa, closed two ARV manufacturing factories after suspicions of collusion. He says the shortage of life-saving drugs was beyond their control. As a country, that's why we normally have very good buffer stocks. We have the center in Centurion and we've got monitoring systems. Some of the issues are, of course, management-related issues in terms of how they manage their stocks and facilities. To try and strengthen that, to ensure that there is actually a proper value chain from the facilities on how we manage our stocks to the central level, to ensure that no facility should run out of ARVs. It's a problem that we are addressing, but some of them, they are exogenous, which totally out of, out of uh, our hands. Meanwhile, Deputy President David Mabuza has called on South Africans to get tested for HIV and know their HIV status. 
we want to take this opportunity to call upon all our citizens to check MPE law and know their status. This year, we also call upon all South Africans to action, to take responsibility for their health and wellness by knowing their status and being linked to a treatment and care. Let's work together to make our actions count. Cheka Impilo, know your status. Mabuza will lead this year's World AIDS Day commemorations in Dobsonville in Soweto. I'm Tabile Mpele for SABC News in Johannesburg. Well, it indeed is a deadly, deadly disease, but I don't want to bore you with the numbers, but these figures are the kind of figures that you want to pay attention to. According to Statistics South Africa, there are just over 7 million people living with HIV, precisely 7.4 in the country, and half of those are on antiretroviral treatment. According to the Human Sciences Research Council, that's the HSRC, the highest rate of new infections is among men aged between 14 and 24 years. The study also revealed that KwaZulu-Natal recorded the highest HIV prevalence rate of all the provinces. Gauteng, you're not alone, it's the hardest hit province when it comes to new infections. Now, those figures are just astounding. But it's just it doesn't do justice to the real rate that of HIV prevalence in the country. Joining us in studio today is Nomonde Magantolo, who is the HIV AIDS program coordinator at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Nomonde's work entails looking at HIV prevalence and related factors in the higher education sector. Nomonde, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Teresa. Good morning, listeners. Nomonde, you know, Let's just get right into it. How is HIV and AIDS affecting the higher education sector in South Africa? Um, according to the study which was done by Higher Education AIDS in 2010, uh, the, the, privilege, uh, the prevalence in, in, in higher education is about 2.8, which is very lower than um, um, the general population. So, but uh, we can safely say this, uh, because uh, we just introduced the 1990 strategy, UNA strategy, which is looking at 90% of people living with HIV knowing their status, and 90% of those who are HIV positive to be on treatment, and 90% of those on treatment must be viral suppressed. And it, which means there is a need to increase HIV uh, testing within our institution so that we can co- get correct statistics. Because I think everybody knows that with the research is taking a sample out of bigger population. Uh, for example, at UKZN, you've got about 45,000 students. And the intake is um, it's less than a half of uh, uh, annual uh, HIV testing. So we think if we can increase uh, the intake, people testing more, then we will see and see correct figures of how um, the prevalence of HIV within our institution. This year's theme is, you know, know your status. How effective is this on the campus? Do students participate in testing and counseling sessions? Yes, as I already mentioned, that we are sitting more than uh, more than twelve thousand uh, testing uh, annually, and I believe that at least if we can get like twenty thousand, will be comfortable because some people they go privately, of course, and some people then access the our HIV testing in our clinics. So the intake is quite good, and what I can add is that uh, with this. 
student who tested HIV positive. They are put on ARVs, of which we're quite happy because most of them, they do take the services of HIV, of which in, De- in Deben Metro campuses, we work with Katomeno uh, Clinic, and in Peter Marespec, we uh, initiate ARVs on campus. And we're quite happy with the intake and also uh, the adherence to the treatment. I, I believe that students do who are HIV positive do adhere to the treatment because we see less than 0.5% of those who are not viral suppressed. Those, as you said, who do test HIV positive, they have the access to treatment. Are there any challenges when it comes to those students accessing ARVs? Is there a shortage? Because there are certain community clinics and certain outreach programs that are closing down because they don't have enough ARVs to hand out to those who are HIV positive. Is that a challenge for students as well? From our side, um, we work with Katomeno Clinic, which uh, is working with, under DOH. And so far, we didn't have shortouts, but we are working uh, at, at bringing the ARVs on campus. And we have just signed the MOA with um, Department of Health, which probably in 2019, they will be getting the treatment from campus. Without, you know, naming students, but you dealing with this on a daily basis, what is some of the major reasons that they are contracting HIV? Uh, what we get from uh, counselors and also professional nurses is that uh, sometimes is partner they trust their partners, and some they believe uh, condom is not very f- friendly user when it comes to sexual activities. So that's the challenge. Would it be that I guess the knowledge is not there? They don't know much about HIV and AIDS that they are able to, you know, go out and have unprotected sex with their partners and not know kind of the the outcome? Yes, um, the university admits students from different uh, background. Uh, As they come to university, what we do, we introduce during orientation, we introduce the services that are available Mm -hmm. because as HIV program, we are there for prevention of HIV. We make sure that they have access to condoms and also we demonstrate condoms because for for students coming from them first time away from home, that is the trans, transitional um, period where it's difficult to be away from parents. You experience new peer pressure and all those kind of things. And I think the first years are more vulnerable that, than any other group because once they're starting, they want to feed the university and they could be taken advantage by senior students and other members. If I could touch on that point, you know, you're talking about take, being taken advantage of. Does gender-based violence, does that play a big role when it comes to young females, especially contracting HIV? Yes, the literature does show that there is a great link between HIV new infection with gender-based violence. And in the country where they still believe that uh, male are the one who suggest how to do uh, sex and they are the one who are leading, that's the problem because uh, you find that some women, they still believe that they should be submissive in a relationship, which is a big challenge. And we try uh, also to empower women. In um, At the university, we have a uh, women's forum, which is looking at, at empowering human, uh, women. And we work with the Department of Health with She Conquers, where we try to make them to 
have a, a high self-esteem to be able to say no when there's they, so that they cannot be taken advantage of. Let's talk now about the stigma, Nomade, because that plays a huge role when it comes to HIV and AIDS, especially in the country. Because aside from the stigma around HIV, many high-risk groups still face enormous barriers to accessing, I think, traditional services due to that stigma, discrimination, and even the criminalization of HIV and AIDS. Does that stigma exist among students as well? Yes. The stigma is still there even for testing just coming for a test, they 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 feel that they, there's a stigma as if they've done something wrong by testing. But our message is very clear to the student that we have to take HIV testing as a routine medical checkup. Mm. And how that is why we decide on holistic approach. If we are doing our events, we do health screening in general so that we don't only target HIV. We also target other things that can a uh, student can experience. We also uh, check uh, about TB, signs of TB, other STIs and just even taking BPs. And, and, and checking sugars because of that stigma. So to eradicate stigma, we should have, uh, offer them holistic wellness health screening, including pep smears, so that it breast cancer, so that they identify. So that you it. rule out all, all. all. Yes. yes. While you're sticking on the topic of uh, stigma, and I'll give you a moment, a, a, a break to catch your breath there, but Operations Manager at the RK Khan Outreach Center, that's Sister Barbara Samuel, says stigma attached to HIV and AIDS continues to be a hurdle that affects knowing a person's status. So that's a big contributor to knowing whether you are HIV positive or not. Through the Outreach Center, every patient at the hospital has an opportunity to be tested. But Sister Samuel still says that so many choose not to be tested. The outreach clinic of RK Khan focuses on managing patients that are HIV positive. Some of the services that we offer is HIV testing with pre- and post-test counseling, putting patients onto ARV therapy and monitoring the viral load and ensuring that patients are virally suppressed. We also focus on uh, managing patients that default medication and actually send CCGs into the community to find these patients and to link them back to care. Part of our program in our fight against HIV is also the male medical circumcision clinic and also pap smears. And how is the counselling and testing process carried out at the hospital? The clinic is made up of doctors, qualified nursing sisters and counsellors. These counsellors are based throughout the Arkansas Hospital. They are placed in every department. So every patient enters the facility is offered an HIV test before discharge. So is this for every single patient that comes in through the doors of RK Khan's hospital? That is what we are aiming to do, yes. What is the purpose of ensuring that every patient have access to the HIV testing? The purpose behind that is to work in line with the global 1990 targets and ensuring an HIV-free generation. What we are actually aiming to do is to make sure that 90% of the population is tested for HIV. So those that are identified can be put on treatment so we curb the spread of the disease. And how successful has this been with the patients? Do they take to it? Are they open to being tested? Sadly, stigma and discrimination still exists, although we've come a long way in the fight against HIV. Therefore, focus is also on community outreach programs where the service is taken into the community 
to allow patients a better access to the service. Why do you believe patients are not as willing to be tested? Why is it that they are still confined or bound by the stigma attached to HIV AIDS? I really don't know why people don't access the services, really. Patients normally will agree to do a test based on the quality of the counselling that is offered to them. Although we've come a long way in, in eliminating the stigma and discrimination, there are still patients that don't want to access HIV testing services. It has been 30 years since the first World AIDS Day was commemorated. Do you mm-hmm. believe that the stigma surrounding HIV and AIDS has now been eradicated? I think we've come a long way in eradicating the stigma and the discrimination. However, it still exists. Our fight against it is not over. And that was Operational Manager at the RK Khan Outreach Centre, Sister Barbara Samuel, talking there to Newsbreak Talk producer Rachel Vardy. Exactly what Sister Barbara Samuel says, we're far from over in eradicating HIV and AIDS, and it doesn't specifically infect a certain religion, a certain race, a certain group. It infects all. So we have to be very cautious in what we do. We have to get tested regularly. We're going to take your calls, give your views a voice. That number to call is 071-613-7803. We've got a message that came through from our WhatsApp line that says, HIV and AIDS is not a death sentence. It's a disease. With education and a change in our mindsets, healthy lifestyle and medication, we can win the war against HIV and AIDS. Let's support and embrace all those who are infected and make them feel like one of us and no outcast. That's from Rajan Rajkumar in Cape town exactly what we're saying wear your red ribbon today support the cause that's hiv and aids it's a world aids day today and it's exactly what we're expected to do it's set aside annually to learn and to help communities unite in fighting against the hiv and aids disease it's not just about raising awareness though it's about learning the truth about the virus you can give your viewers a voice remember that number again is 071-613-7803 the views and opinions expressed on newsbreak talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. We have Mr. Louis Pillay on the line. A very good afternoon, Louis. Good afternoon to you and good afternoon to the listeners. I think first of all, you know, people need to know what is AIDS about. And you you cannot eat it in food. It will not go through. So, you, you know, people must know that. And, you know, kissing and also injecting, that's where you get it from. But going on to your topic, I'm an AIDS activist. I did a five-day course on AIDS, and I did another three pairs of two-day course. Now, let's talk about AIDS like y'all did it in the studio where people were tested yesterday. And if you look at it, it would not be 100% true. It may be 80%. Because when you do an AIDS test, you are still in that window period. Now, window period, people do not talk about the window period. And the window period is something that you can get over a month or two months. If you do a test or a blood test, it will not show if you're in the window period. I think that's one of the causes that you can talk about. The other thing is how we getting AIDS. AIDS is spread down the road from, from, from Namibia, from from Mozambique, and if you look at the trucker's route all the way to Cape Town, you will get a lot of AIDS 
victims on that route of the truckers. Mm. Thank Not you, Louis. I, I don't want to, to, to get into it, but we, we're going to take more callers and we're going to talk to Numonde mm. more about this. But thank you so much for giving us, you know, some of your comments this afternoon. It's really appreciated. Yes. Thank you, okay. Louis. Thanks, God. Keep well. Keep well. Great points that Louis is, you know, is bringing about. We can all be activists of HIV and AIDS. It's simple. It's just following the theme of this year exactly, but do it every year. You just have to know your status and you have to unite in the fight against HIV to showing your support for those who are also living with the virus. Nomonde, you know, even of what Louis is talking about, knowing that status, is it a challenge? Do you find, and we spoke about this a little earlier, that Many people have that misconception that I can't contract HIV. I know my partner. He's not a cheater or he doesn't cheat or he's, you know, faithful to me. I wouldn't get HIV. It's not just as simple as that, is it? It's not as simple as that. And I think most of young people, they are not comfortable to discuss the HIV because we are saying if you are going to get into a new relationship, and you are ready to take to take to take your relation into the next level of being sexually active. You need to negotiate how you're going to do it, so that you agree. And we encourage young people to to test as couples, so that they know the, where they are coming from and support each other. If your partner then is HIV positive, it it doesn't mean that you leave that partner. You have to protect yourself. And hence now, the, the researchers has agreed in the, in the conference in Amsterdam where they said undetectable virus is equal to untransmittable, mm. which means somebody who is viral suppressed might not infect the next person. So the, that is why we need to increase people knowing their status. Hence, the last speaker said about window period. If you don't know your status, you will not know how to protect your partner. So the, it is critical that people should know and be regular testers. And we encourage them to test there every year. So the first step of stigma, it, it also it goes with denial. denial where is, you already said that people said, not me, not my partner, and mm. they look at each other, and you think, when I look at you, you are just HIV negative. And the clear message is that if you don't know, take the person as potentially HIV positive yes. until you rule out via testing. The only thing that can tell you that somebody is HIV positive is when it's tested. People just assume by looking at your face, you look healthy and all that and assume that you are HIV negative. And yet that is not true. Not everybody who is HIV positive will look sick. Definitely. We know that the, the, how the virus get into your body and take time. It can take 10 years before your health deteriorates. And the process of getting tested itself, it's not a lengthy process at no. all. How long is it? Because and, and if you can also tell me the length of getting tested and how often should one get tested? Uh, it differs from person to person. But we are saying if you are low risk, annual testing is fine. And I think for me, everybody from families at home, we should encourage our siblings, our families to go and test. Because now you look at people, they think you should test. Me, I, I'm not at risk. So that's where the stigma comes from. Mm -hmm. Because it's like certain people should t test. And yet as parents from home, test with your children. I encourage them from home, let's go and test. So we do it annually as something that together 
have you tested? It, it must be openly practiced, like mm. anything like checking your sugar or any other, uh, other disease. Just let's check ours and be proud so that we keep ourselves HIV negative. And then if one of us is positive, we support that one because we know now HIV is not a death sentence anymore. People live normal life, especially if they are tetra treatment. Mm-hmm. Being judged is also a common concern because that being judged around, you know, confidentiality and especially evident among young, evident amongst, you know, the youth it's, uh, itself who are at risk of HIV infection, they may feel as if, you know, they were being judged for being sexually active. Mm. Maybe that's the reason why they can't come out and say, I want to go and get, you know, an, an HIV test done. You dealing with young students daily. Is this, you know, a common cause of concern? Definitely. And they believe, oh, I can't do it on campus. People, first of all, is scared that the peers they will see that is going for test. First of all, they scared that maybe the sisters at the clinic will judge them and say, why are we testing? You're not supposed to come here and study. But that is not the issue. I mean, we are very lucky because what we do in the institution, we also empower our professionals, uh, counselors and the nurses to be youth friendly services where the youth must feel free and be comfortable and our kind of theme is that we advancing a transformation on sexual reproductive health for all which is inclusive of hiv so that everybody is just comfortable include everything and just let the, the the young people get access to contraceptive let the people access to condoms let the young people get access to testing so it's like we we try to to have a, a, a comprehensive package for young people and uh, uh, my also my belief is that also the the prevention is not uh, prescriptive it depends it differs from couple to couple some couple they might really feel that faithfulness is okay for them but then with the faithfulness we know there's a high risk because yes. you cannot control your partner that's what the message we give to young people unfortunately as much as you like to trust your partner but you must be uh, also not be a naive Mm-hmm. Make sure there are controls around because if you decide to be faithful in a relationship, which means you must be regular testers. And also not live in denial. You know, we're yes. talking about young women. It's estimated that about 2,000 adolescent girls and young women in South Africa are infected every week, most of them via gender based violence. violence. That is, you know, shocking figures, Namonde, and a national NGO that acts as a bridge between people, health and social services looked at the correlation between HIV and gender-based violence, and that's GBV. Uh, Nicosa undertook a study in Wentworth, south of Durban, and found that victims of GBV showed a much higher rate of testing positive than that of the general population. So Nicosa KZN Programs Manager Mohammed Nadim Sharif spoke to newspaper Talk producer Rachel Vardy. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. The following story contains graphic description which may upset sensitive people, including children. So, one of the projects that we were implementing with the assistance of the Foundation for Professional Development was a gender-based violence study where we tried to establish how many cases of gender-based violence was experienced in key areas in and around the Itikwini area or KZN area. And then basically what we did was we administered a assessment together with a screening tool 
tried to providing an HIV test. And this was done between January and March of 2018. And the purpose of this was just to determine the possible existence between any of the correlations between HIV as well as GBV and statistically or otherwise. So how was this project carried out? So what we've got is we've got an organization that's based in Bentworth. The organization consists of care workers, as well as a social worker, as well as a clinician. And at this organization, these care workers, together with the social worker, go out in the area that they are operating in, and they go from door to door, and they provide some sort of counseling and testing. And part of the counseling and testing is also to uh, initiate this GBV screening tool. And uh, based on that tool, that screening tool, it determines whether you have been affected or infected by, be it gender-based violence, be it an STI, be it TB. So the purpose of this is to identify the vulnerability of the individual. Once they have screened and they've identified possible candidates for these programs, they then refer them to the necessary care centers, whether it's Department of Social Development, whether it is the Tutuzela Care Centers, whether it is FAPS, depending on the severity of the program itself. Uh, in these specific areas, uh, what are the hotspots? Where are the areas that have got the highest rate of HIV, which is the highest rates of perhaps uh, gender-based violence, perhaps sexual violence, uh, alcohol, substance abuse, things like that? What were the results of the study? So based on the findings, what we've concluded is that the victims of GBV should be recognized as key populations for HIV testing in South Africa. I mean, the study just highlighted the positivity yield when tested in a particular cohort, and it resulted in much higher yield as opposed to the general population. Um, I think we also felt that it was extremely advantageous to screen both for HIV and GBV in these communities where violence is an endemic. And, I mean, based on the study, 42.86% of the population needed to be tested for HIV and required support for some sort of gender-based violence. Now, these figures that you have presented via the study is quite startling. What is the correlation that one can make between GBV, gender-based violence, and HIV in communities such as this? So what we've realized is that gender-based violence and HIV go sort of hand in hand. In communities where there's a high exposure of GBV, there's generally a high yield or high positivity rate. Now, this study was obviously just conducted in one community, and it was sort of like a qualitative research that was done in this community. But based on the results that we've picked up, we've actually realized that the cases of GBV uh, result in high yield. Based on the discussions that we've had with organizations like Childline, with these two Tudela care centers as well, this is not something that's unusual. It's common to see high positivity rates with GBV cases. I mean, just a simple scenario to give you an example. You've got a, a child that's at home that has perhaps an uncle that is taking advantage of this child, sexually abusing this child, and, and this uncle has got perhaps multiple sexual partners as well. So the rate of transmission between these individuals is very, very, very Likely, And you've got to understand that with cases of GBV, there's no sexual precaution. So there's no condom use. There's nothing like that. I mean, these are 
cases of rape in, in essence, what you are referring to. So, I mean, the results are absolutely startling and it's actually shocking. And that was Nakosa KZN Programs Manager Mohammed Nadim Sharif talking to Newsbreak's Rachel Vardy. Well, you know, it's just not over if you feel that you have been raped and you could be now HIV positive. No wonder there are avenues that you could explore if you have been raped or a victim of gender-based violence and you feel that you could now be HIV positive. What's the first thing you should do? I think um, the victim should go to the nearest clinic and and report the case and is going to be assessed for STIs and also tested if uh, if he's HIV positive or not. And then if he's HIV positive, we'll give him a, a PEP, which is pre-post-exposure prophylaxis, which is ARVs that are given within 72 hours of the exposure, which reduces your chances of getting infected by HIV if you have been having exposed to HIV um, virus. So this is very, very important because you have to take it within 72 hours and it's given for a month. It's very important to understand at this point that PEP is time sensitive. So it has to be taken within 72 hours of the rape having occurred. Okay, yes. You know, how is the rate of, do you find students coming to you saying, I need PEP at at universities there is a high demand of it goes with emergency pill mm-hmm. and also with pep there is a high demand because i think it's also linked to substance abuse especially weekends people yeah. they get uh, partying and they don't know what happened as a result they find themselves vulnerable during that time and come back to our clinics uh, for uh, for pep and also emergency pill especially women are there other delays found to affect the access of PEP? From our side, we don't have a problems because we we do have PEP. We buy it from our own budget. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just as Namonde has mentioned, if you do even find yourself being a victim of any ki- kind of gender-based violence or even rape, reminder that PEP is time-sensitive. You have to take it within 72 hours. As we've heard Mohammed even talking about the gender-based violence, it is shocking. And, you know, being in during the campaign of 16 Days of Activism, Nomonde, it's, it's something we can't avoid. Young females at universities finding themselves in situations of gender-based violence, you say that it's, it's common, it's very common, even though they are such young females. What is being done at universities to actually educate these young girls, not only about HIV and AIDS, but also about not falling victim to gender-based violence? Um, Our university take uh, life of students very seriously on campus. And I think our executive director for student services has put up some project and also university has just um, uh, approved the the gender-based violence policy which is going to be circulated and also working with our risk management uh, uh, on campus where the student will go to to report the cases of abuse. Um, There is an app which has been developed within UKZN. It's my UKZN. You download on your phone 
and you just press the button, the emergency button, and the risk management will be able to identify where you are and come and rescue you from, from the problem. So the university is very proactive because if you understand what this has been uh, going in other universities like MUT, Rhodes, and all incidents, so we couldn't wait and fold our arms and said, let's not do something because it didn't happen here. So UKZN is very proactive when it comes to gender-based violence. It cannot tolerate. Even now, if you open the page, UKZN page, you'll see that it says it cannot tolerate violence in the institution. Exactly one forty one. A very good afternoon to you if you've just tuned in. This is Newsbreak Talk on Lotus FM. I'm Talisha Naidu standing in for Taresh Hari Pashad. It's World AIDS Day today and we're talking about breaking the silence about HIV and AIDS. We have our guest in studio that is Nomonde Magantolo who is the HIV AIDS Programs Coordinator at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Talking about the, the university and staying with that, Nomonde, these are a group of students who are about to make their way into the working world. Those who are HIV positive, what's their fears of getting into their career, going into their workplace and being HIV positive? I think our, when it comes, if you remember, I said the 90% of those who are HIV positive from our campuses are on treatment and they are well counseled to understand that the HIV is not a death sentence and they are going to live a normal life and enjoy. I think I had um, the other speaker saying that mm-hmm. sometimes people, they, ex- they expect that if you're HIV positive, you must stop having sex or anything. People who are HIV positive live a normal life and we do have a program which is called graduate alive Mm. and healthy so in that program is awareness program that if you are hiv positive it's it's fine we are here to support you to make sure that you are healthy you graduate alive and you can be productive as any other person that is hiv negative so we do give hope for our students but there is no fear to go to the um um to work and, and, and pursue your career and study and continue study. Don't give up is not a death sentence. Uh, HIV is chronic manageable disease that uh, we know it's supported by the research that you live a normal life and life expectancy has been increased. And I think the challenge of people seeing them uh, dying, it has dropped significantly in South Africa. If you remember, they were depending on city for count before. Mm. Uh, people were waiting until below 200. By that time, they were very sick. Some didn't respond well. Yeah. But government did change and look at city for below 500. And that again, that one has changed that anybody, if you are HIV positive, start your treatment immediately. And it's proven that by doing that, you suppress your virus and it will be undetectable. So you don't wait until you are sick to take the treatment. And for me, from our side, I think students are taking that very well. As I said, more than 90% of those who are shelters are on treatment and they are tearing. We've made massive strides in tackling this disease head on. But if we're talking about that workplace and, you know, students making that move from university to their careers, that impact of HIV related stigmas is shattering on an individual. It, you know, the research by International Center for Research on Women found a long list of potential consequences ranging from loss of income and livelihood through to unemployment, discrimination and feeling of, of worthlessness. You know, is that a, a fear? My question to you is, 
How often do you have students coming into you and saying, I feel worthless. I'm HIV positive and I feel like I want to die now. There are those uh, who will test HIV positive and ha- have difficulty in accepting, first of all, the status and have the fear of unknown. Is, is he able to cope with this disease? And also thinking about family, there's a lot because the stigma, first stigma is self-stigma. And the second stigma is coming from people outside the community the community even including your family mm. so those are the fears sometimes especially for young people because it, it, sometimes we parents we are not open about sexuality and we think our children won't be sexual until at later stage or wait until getting married because the religion the culture has influence on how uh, people uh, deal with hiv because in some religion it's called uh, it's a devil thing and all those kind of things. So if one young person then is positive and is got that in mind, that I'm possessed by devil, it, it, it becomes a challenge. So we do then go through counseling. There's a support from the counselors or the professional nurses. There's a psychologist on campus that will take the student through so that he's able to accept and know that he's going to live a normal life and be ready to challenge. They, of course, there are those who will take longer than others to accept their status. Thanks, Nomadi. It's exactly quarter to two. We're talking about HIV and AIDS today. What do you feel about this topic? You know, have you been tested? You can let us know. That number is zero seven one six one three seven eight zero three. But findings by an accredited training provider for HIV and sexually transmitted infections, that's STI, Strath Health Consultants, shows that HIV and AIDS is an issue that needs to be dealt with in the workplace. Based in Cape Town, Vasi Palais has over the years been involved with the management of HIV and STIs. She says that HIV and AIDS affects the workplace, which can be detrimental detrimental to the economy. If you're looking at the corporate sector, let me just tell you at the outset, right, HIV can affect anyone, anyone who has unprotected sex, especially with multiple partners. In the corporate sector, it could be in any aspect of life. Because if you look at the incidence of HIV in South Africa, it has definitely risen if you look at the 2016 HIV incidents, it was 270,000. And when I talk about incidents, what I'm referring to is new infections. If you look at the prevalence rate, from 2008, it was 10.6%. And if you look at 2018, the prevalence rate has risen up to about 13%. This increase in prevalence rate is due to both the combined effect of new infections plus increased ARV treatment programs. But what's interesting to note is that approximately 18% of people in the 15 to 49 age group are HIV positive. And also of interest is that this age group represents South Africa's workforce. And this is the most economically productive age bracket. And you find that you have to pay attention to white-collar infections and diseases and things like that because... It's not restricted to people, you know, out, you know, people would think like the white collar industry has all the so-called educated, qualified, and uh, people who can really think things through. But, you know, if you look at the state, the infection rate 
you know, then you realize, look, HIV is something that can affect everyone. From your line of work, what has been your experience working within the white-collar industry in the HIV-AIDS field? What I found is when I used to talk about multiple sexual partners and, um, you know, the one thing we have to remember is that people working from 8 to 5, they normally work in close proximity with each other. They're working for long hours together. So it's very easy for relationships to develop. But what I found was very interesting, and they'll come to me and say, look, you know, I've had these symptoms. What do you think? HIV is something that's not disclosed. Employees do not disclose it. You know, it's something that is uh, very stigmatized, and there's a lot of legal issues involved here. So nobody knows exactly who has HIV because nobody talks about it. Do employers have to disclose their HIV-AIDS status in the workplace? No. No, they don't. And do employers have the right to ask that of them? Uh, legally, no. But it depends on the, on the employee if they want to. You know, if they want to disclose it, they may do so. But the employer does not have the right to disclose it to anyone else. And that was Vasi Pale from the Strat Health Consultants talking to Newsbreak Talk producer Rachel Vanuel. As you heard, Vasi saying, you don't need to know whether somebody is HIV positive and you're working with them. They don't need to disclose their status. And, you know, it's none of your business if you're working with them because they don't have to disclose it legally. No wonder if we're talking about that, we know that we need to remove the stigma. That's you know, obvious. We need to remove the misconceptions and the stigma that could keep the disease from spreading. But how do we do that? First of all, I think people should understand the, how we get infected by HIV. HIV need an entry point to infect you. Mm. That means it's either your skin or your mucus is open or is bruised for HIV to enter. So, for example, people, they do question a lot about kissing. Yeah. And also because they think maybe because they, they're sharing of fluids there. But because if you don't have wounds and nothing in your mouth, there's nothing you should be scared of. First of all, if you, the blood comes into your skin, if your skin is intact, HIV won't enter your skin. Hence, you can touch, you can you can play with somebody who is HIV, but it's not going to infect you. Because HIV is not infected like uh, TB, true bone, uh, um, A. So it is, import- it is important for people to understand how you get infected about HIV. HIV needs an entry point, which means an opening so that it has a chance to enter your body. Without that, p- people will not uh, get infected by sharing toilets, spoons, and uh, sitting in the same seat, you cannot get infect, uh, infected by HIV from those uh, uh, things. It happens when there's exchange of blood, especially if there is an exit point and entry point. But in saying so, it's also very important to take precautions. Yes. What are some of the most important precautions one should take to avoid contracting HIV? Um, the, we said we, we are telling people that every time, uh, you must have uh, have universal precautions. When you are going to touch blood, fluids that are coming from your body, you have to wear gloves. You have to protect yourself. 
But if the skin intact, I think the difference is that people, they will think they take precautions by not touching somebody HIV positive. Mm. If there's no bleeding, there are no fluids. You cannot there's be scared. There's no fear. Mm. There's no fear. But if it's one of your relatives, whoever is bleeding, you have to take precaution by wearing gloves. Of If possible, there are no gloves. You can even use plastic or anything that can protect you from blood, fluid, uh, blood fluids. So that is the important part that everybody, and you, you, even if you don't know the status, I think some people, they look at people and then I need to protect me, myself from this one because this looks very sick. But it's not like that. Because if you remember the window period, during window period, somebody's got a high viral load. That person is highly infectious and is looking well. There's nothing like look very sick. So that is why you cannot tell if somebody is HIV positive or not. Therefore, you have to practice universal precautions all the time and protect yourself. No wonder we now in the 30th World AIDS Day commemoration. 30 years on, why is it important and how can you show your support? Well, it is important. First of all, I think the most uh, monster for HIV is stigma. Mm. Immediately people live freely, not being scared with HIV, then we'll be able to fight HIV. I think we should focus also on prevention strategies, especially for youth. There is biomedical uh, prevention, there is also behavioral, uh, and they go to get together. It is important in that, first of all, you, 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 you have a knowledge. Biomedical, we've got something which is called PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis, mm-hmm. is encouraged, especially for young women, because we know that condom is mostly worn by men and is negotiated. At least if then you're using a pre-exposure prophylaxis, you'll be able to take that pill and then you are protected. And it, it research shows that it PrEP does work. It reduces the chances of you getting HIV. How can you access PrEP? PrEP you get from the clinics. And so, so it's, it's a free, free course for women. Yes. So you can access it. It doesn't stop you. From going out, getting prep, and avoiding being HIV. And, and, yes. So, what other, you know, you're talking about preventions. What other ways can, let's focus on young, because you're coming from University of KwaZulu Natal. Let's yes. focus on the youth, because you earlier told me that, you know, it happens more often after a weekend of partying, drinking. Yes. yes. That you get some students who come out to you and say, listen, I need this, the emergency pill or I need a uh, PEP. How do they prevent that? We, you know, we're not saying stop alcohol, stop drinking, drinking but yeah. how do you prevent that dangerous kind of extreme behavior in, in contracting HIV? So, uh, as I mentioned, that there is biomed- biomedical prevention, there is also behavioral. Behavioral, it will include a gender dynamics in a relationship. It will include substance abuse. It, w- it will include... Um, or knowing yourself, because it is important. Self-esteem is the most important thing in a relationship because you cannot do things because you want to please your partner, especially, you know, that age group where they are blessers and all that. It's very difficult to negotiate self-sex there in that kind of relationship. So those are under behavioral, uh, where we equip young women to say, you are able to say no, you are, ne- you are able to say, uh, how are you going to do this thing? You, you must have your, your voice. You cannot 
not just listen to your boyfriend or your 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 partner without saying having your own voice there so what we encourage young people is that they must be strong and have self-esteem and test regular and for females we promote prep and i think uh, our mec for health dr Lomo, always promote equal protection where he's saying women must have a, a, a contraceptives and also using condoms and for males we encourage medical circumcision which is reduces their chances by 60 percent so it is for, important that males should be circumcised and also use condoms at the same time then we'll be able to reduce hiv it's so important to have all these preventions and take all these preventions as well. But on a day like today, 1st of December, where we are commemorating World AIDS Day, Nomunde, what should I do? Should, aside from going out and getting tested, knowing your status, check IMPILO, that's the theme. What should I do every day afterwards? As I said, what is important is that in a relationship, have your voice. That you have to make your own decision about your body. That is the very, very important part. Don't live in denial. Don't live in denial. And we have seen a lot with young people where they, they live in denial and think this is not me. And also this trust of our partners is the dangerous one. Because unfortunately, as much as we like to trust our partners, we never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Well, that's the words from Nomonde. And uh, Nomonde, thank you for joining us today on Newsbreak Talk, discussing HIV and AIDS. It's a topic that can go on and on. We tried not to bore you with the figures of today, but just to get down to the grassroots level of HIV, not living in denial, taking all the preventions, and also, you know, fighting that stigma, breaking the silence on HIV and AIDS. That's our guest today in studio, Nomonde Magantolo, who is the HIV and AIDS program coordinator at the university of KwaZulu-Natal. And that brings our program to a close today. It comes away courtesy of the team led by executive producer Salma Patel, senior producer Magashni Motian and Newsbreak Talk producer Rachel Vardy. Well, we discussed World AIDS Day today, a day set aside annually for communities to unite in the fight against HIV and AIDS. And I hope that you do fight that stigma, fight the disease as well and raise awareness but also learn the truth about the virus. I'm Talisha Naidu. I'll be back tomorrow where we'll discuss disability on International Disability Day. Do have a blessed day. Coming up next is your news with Tracy Valaidam. News break. Lotus FM powered by SABC News.